there is a lot to pray for. Uh, we are all praying for needs in our own lives. We know of needs in others' lives that we're praying for. Uh, I wonder if we could take just a moment this morning to uh, pray for the situation in, in Afghanistan. It is horrific. Uh, I mean, words words can't even describe the, the horror and the, the terror those people must be facing right now. Uh, yeah. And it was all avoidable. Uh, I, I don't like to wax political, especially up here, but uh, whoever whoever was in office, Republican, Democrat, Independent, I don't care. If they, they do something like this, it's just wrong. Uh, our nation is so desperate. We so desperately need Jesus Christ. This nation is... It's on its way out, folks. I don't know how else to say it. It's it's on its last legs, and if something doesn't happen soon, we're done. Uh, this nation is going to crumble. It'll be taken over by someone, whether by military, by economic, social, however it is. Uh, we're just about done. And if Jesus doesn't do something fast, quick, amen. I love this country. I love the United States. As many problems as we have, I still think it's the greatest nation in the world. And it's worth fighting for. Let's pray for our our nation this morning. Let's pray for those in Afghanistan, those facing these horrors, that God does something in that situation and that he moves here in our soil. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for you, your mercy, your grace, your long-suffering patience to usward. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have provided us, your people. Thank you, Jesus, for the many blessings that we enjoy each and every day. Blessings we receive from your hand. We acknowledge before you, Lord Jesus, that our nation has forsaken the Lord its God. We confess before you, Lord, that we have moved a far way off from you. We have forsaken your laws, your precepts, your judgments, your commandments, your testimonies, and have followed after other gods, vain philosophies that cannot save, that cannot deliver. I pray, O God, that you would show mercy unto this nation, that you would lead us as a country to a place of repentance unto salvation. I pray for the situation in Afghanistan, that you would protect those that are trying to seek asylum, that are trying to escape the terror. I pray, O God, that you would protect them, that you would lead them to places of safety, that that situation would be resolved quickly, properly. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for our service this morning. For the needs represented here, those listening online, their needs, that you administer here also, that you administer miraculously and wondrously and gloriously in our midst here today, that your word would go forth mightily, that it would accomplish all that you please, prosper in the thing where you send it, 
that your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst here today. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We're thankful for those that were able to go to men's conference this weekend. Amen. They don't know it yet, but I'm going to ask them to testify later. Maybe they suspected. <coughs> Second service, though. And I'm still going to ask. <laughs> uh, but these these events are, are really special. They're really uh, powerful uh, to go to. It's a sacrifice a lot of times for, for people to be able to, to make the trip, to, to pay the money, to set the time aside to do that. But God always blesses that sacrifice. He always comes through wondrously. Uh, so I'm looking forward either either in service or after to hear what God has done for you guys. Amen. This morning we're going to continue on with our uh, study of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, long-suffering and gentleness. Galatians 5, 22-25, kind of our text for the, the series, says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, again, by way of remembrance, uh, we understand that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is uh, something that happens through process. It happens through a period of time where the Lord is working in us. Uh, it comes through the Holy Ghost in us. However, uh, we don't necessarily see all of these being manifest immediately after we receive the Holy Ghost. Okay? Uh, we've said before, uh, maybe some of you have had this experience. I can remember when I received the Holy Ghost, I was not as far along then as I am today. Thirty-some yeah, years later, uh, I've had experiences. I, I've done a, l- a little bit more studying in the Word. Uh, I've drawn a little bit closer to God, hopefully. And so I'm in a I'm in a different spot now than I was 30 years ago when I received the Holy Ghost. But I still I still had the Holy Ghost then. I was still saved then. If I died right then, I believe I would have went to heaven. But at the same time, there was a lot of stuff that God still needed to work out in me, right? I wasn't by any means holy. I wasn't exhibiting agape love toward my enemies at that point. I still had a lot of junk in my life that God was dealing with and working out. And so uh, we understand that when someone comes to the Lord, receives the Holy Ghost, gets baptized in Jesus' name, it, it's, I mean, that is awesome. It's beautiful. But it's only a beginning. It's a necessary beginning. It's a, it's a wonderful beginning. But that's all it is. And so, from there, the Lord leads us through our lives in a process. And as we walk with Him, and as we 
strive to, to please him and, and to accomplish his will in our lives. As we read the word of God and, and do our very best with the help of the Lord to apply it to our lives, he changes us. And you may not see it day to day, but looking at it year to year, I'm a different person. I'm becoming more like he is. And that's the goal for everybody. We want to be Christ-like. That's God's will for everybody. He wants us to be Christ-like. And so as we move through this process that the Lord puts us through, and it's different for everybody, you come to the Lord with different baggage than I did. But we all have baggage. We all have junk that we're bringing into this relationship. And so through a process, through the rest of our lives, God is working on us. He's patient and he deals with us. And he slowly but surely starts to remove those things from our lives. And in return, he gives us this fruit of the Spirit. We start manifesting his character, his personality. And that's the, that's the desire, that's the goal. So today we're going to be talking about uh, long-suffering and gentleness. Now, long-suffering is, uh, in context here, patience, steadfastness, forbearance, endurance. Now, I, I kind of want to split this up into two different aspects of long-suffering. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is, is what I'm going to call endurance. Okay? Uh, Mark 13 and 13 says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now here Mark is, is telling us that uh, we are going to face situations that are not pleasant. Uh, the particular instance here is that men will hate us because of our faith, because of who we serve, because of who we claim as God. And we see that being manifest in the world today more and more. We see less and less patience with Christianity, less and less uh, ability or desire to listen to our point of view. And more and more, you know, this is, this is a trend that's been going on for a long time. And again, in some part, we bear responsibility for it because we allowed it to happen. Society has been relegating us more and more off into the corner of, of being irrelevant. Uh, that's faith. That's, we'll put that over here with faith stuff. And then reality is over here. The real stuff, the, the stuff that matters is over here. Now, they don't exactly say it like that. At least they, they haven't in the past, but more and more that is exactly what they're saying. Uh, religions, faith, you know, that's, that's fine, that's okay, that's good, you know, but, but that's all it is. That, that's just something that you believe, something that helps you get through something, gets, gets you through life. It's your crutch. But those of us that don't need a crutch, you know, we're gonna focus on, on reality, things that are real, things that matter. And that's the idea in the world today. But it's quite the opposite. 
in reality, this is the only thing that really matters. This is reality. I mean, this is reality too. I mean, if I punch this hard enough, I'm going to break my hand. All my belief in the world isn't going to change that. It's it's real. The physical is, is real. But it's temporal. hundred years from now, this thing isn't going to be here. One way or another. It's going to rot, decay, break down, be replaced, something. <clears throat> my vehicle most certainly will not be here a hundred years from now. <laughs> if it's here five years from now, I'll be really happy. This is temporal. It's not going to last. And so, does it make sense to invest a lot of time and energy into it? No. We need to invest some. We have responsibilities here. But this is what we need to focus on because this is forever. This is, this is what will last. This is real. And so, when we read uh, this scripture, will be hated of all men for his name's sake. That's absolutely true. But he goes on to say, he that endures to the end. There are some things that we are going to just have to take. We're going to have to endure. We're going to have to go through. Now, there are other things that we simply don't have to take, okay? Uh, especially when it comes to spiritual. We don't have to take the things that are coming at us spiritually. But physically... The government comes down and starts throwing down edicts. I mean, <clears throat> there, are, there are things that we can do within the system, but, I mean, at the end of the day, if we get a totalitarian regime like China or, or Soviet Russia, we're going to have to endure stuff. We're going to have to endure stuff. And if we do endure those things, to the end, we shall be saved. Okay, so endurance, part of long-suffering is being able to endure suffering and affliction. Second Timothy 2 and 10 says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Okay, now we're, we're kind of moving up a step here. In the first verse, I'm enduring for my sake. I'm enduring because I want to make it. I want to be saved. In, in uh, Timothy here, Paul is saying that we need to endure for others' sakes. I need to endure so that you can be saved. You need to endure so that your family can be saved, your co-workers can be saved. So we're taking it kind of a step higher now. I need to endure. I need endurance, long-suffering to be manifest in my life for other people's sakes. They can look at that. They can see that fruit. They can sample it. They can taste it. They see that things are going wrong in my life. And they see how I respond to that. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. I, You know, fair or not, as soon as people know you're a Christian, you're under the microscope now. <clears throat> I mean, you can complain about it or rejoice in it, you know, whatever. But that's the way it is. As soon as someone knows you're a Christian, you stand up. For Christianity, now they're going to be watching you. How do you talk? Where do you go? How do you spend your time? What do you, what do you, how, how do you respond to these situations in life? 
They know how they respond, but they're expecting us to respond differently, aren't they? And they ought to. They ought to expect that, and they ought to see that. Not because we're any different than they are, but because we have something in us that's different. We have the Holy Ghost. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a knowledge of truth. We ought to be different. They ought to be able to see and feel the difference in us. And so we endure, we suffer through these things so that others can see the proper response. When Jesus suffered through things, he responded to all situations perfectly. He didn't have to take those situations. He even said, when he was on the cross, don't you think I can call to my father and and send 10,000 legions of angels? He could have. But he didn't. He sat there and took it for our sake. He took it for our sake. So there are some things, whether we like it or not, that we will endure for other people's sakes. There are burdens that you're going to have to carry, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of someone else. And that's a good thing. God is trusting us with that. Like you trusted Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He did that for a reason. He expected that Job was going to throw a bunch of egg in Satan's face. And he did. Can he trust us with the same burdens? 2 Timothy 4.5 says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Okay, in the same book, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's saying part of ministry is this. Endure afflictions. Now, a lot of people, especially when they, they're still new converts, but they've been living for God for a little while, and they, they kind of start understanding how things work in church and, and uh, scripture and stuff like that. They start looking at the guy behind the pulpit, and they start thinking, that would be pretty cool. You know how I know? Because I thought that. He does a couple things a week. I mean, what else does he do? And everybody loves the guy. He gets all this praise and, and, you know, he's always, he's always at the, the top upper seats whenever we go anywhere to a conference or something. My pastor at the time was the assistant general superintendent. So he, he was, I mean, right up with Brother Urshan. So I was like, wow. I mean, everybody loves this guy. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, people know him, you know. And so, uh, in other, other positions of leadership, I began to look at them and, man, that would be pretty cool. You know, they, they get these ideas and they can, they can just go ahead and do them. I get any ideas, I gotta run it by 50 people <laughs> before I can do anything. And so, we sometimes get this wrong idea of ministry. Uh, ministry is not 
just receiving praise. Ministry is not being in the public eye. Ministry is not uh, being exalted and magnified by people. Ministry is servanthood. Ministry is work. Ministry is suffering. It's affliction. Endure affliction. That's part of ministry. Before that, he said, be watchful. Be vigilant. Because attacks come from every avenue. When you're in ministry, you're a target. And as a reminder, all of us are ministers. We are all ministers. We have different ministries, certainly. Thankfully. Can you imagine 50 people having to schedule this? That'd be awful. No one's doing anything else. (laughs) Everybody were the eye, where would be the hearing? So, uh, we are all in ministry. And so, this exhortation applies to all of us. We are going to need to endure affliction because we are ministers. Simply because we are standing for truth. Simply because we have a relationship with God that desires that to be shared with someone else. Because we stand for what's right. Not what the world says is right, but objective truth. The Word of God. We stand for the Word of God. We stand for the principles found in it. And because of that, we are going to endure affliction whether we want to or not. Now, the only option, the only other option, of course, is to keep our mouth shut. But then you will endure different kinds of affliction. You're not going to be exempt from it. You can walk away from God, but then you will endure much harder afflictions out in the world. That's not the topic of this, but so, we will endure affliction because we want to be saved. We will endure affliction for other people's sakes so they can see the glory of God manifest through that affliction. We will endure affliction because we are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. We are serving others. And because of that, the Bible says that we will endure affliction. And we have to. We have to. Hebrews 6.15 says, So after he had patiently endured... He obtained the promise. Now, this is a sermon in and of itself. We see all kinds of examples in Scripture where people received a wonderful promise of God. Joseph received these dreams. Your family's going to bow down to you. You're going to be in a place of prominence. And immediately after that, he got sold into slavery. And then he became a servant to... Uh, Potiphar. And then he became the jailer's assistant in prison. And by some accounts, I mean, he was in that situation for well over a decade. Hanging on to this dream I had as a kid. David. David was anointed as a young boy to be king over Israel. He was anointed by the prophet. He had the anointing oil on him. He was supposed to be king. 
And immediately afterward, nothing happened. Nothing. He went back to his life as usual. Tending the sheep, being the youngest. No better off. But God was working in his life. He went and he served Saul. He got Saul's attention by killing Goliath. That would get my attention. Went into service to Saul. God was with him, wasn't with Saul. Saul's proper response would have been to resign. Okay, if this scenario were perfect, Saul sort of recognized the, the, the will of God here and stepped out of the picture and let David come in according to the plan of God. But in every way and every, every avenue, Saul resisted that. He resisted that. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where your superior, your authority, the, the person you were submitting to, was holding you back? And by that, I know how that sounds. Sometimes we need to be held back. But you knew, you were convinced of the plan of God. The will of God for your life was to do this. But your your pastor or your youth leader or or your parent or whoever it was said, no, 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 no. I don't want you doing that. Not for any good reason, but because they didn't want you doing that. They don't want you serving God. Or they want to keep you here and, and not send you off there. Or, you know, whatever the reason is. It's an awful situation to be in. And that's exactly where David found himself. He was not going against, he was not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And he was right. He ought not done, I've done that. His was the proper response. He knew the will of God, but he was going to let God take care of that. His authority was in the way. He was wrong. Straight up. But David submitted to him anyway. And every step of the way, he did right. David did right. And finally, at the end of all of it, all of the running, all of the hiding, going to the Philistines for crying out loud, and living with them for a while, he finally came in to the promise. God worked it out. I think Saul would have preferred he just stepped down. When he saw how God worked it out, it didn't turn out so well for him. But David had a period between receiving the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. We see that all through Scripture. And so when God gives you a promise... Just expect, maybe it will, but just expect that it's not going to take place for a while. When God calls a young man at the altar uh, to, to be an evangelist or to be a youth pastor or, or, you know, whatever, calls him into the ministry, they're not going to be a youth pastor next week. Now he knows what he needs to do. Now he knows the direction he needs to take. But it's going to be a process to get there. And when God gives us a promise, he gives us a, a direction for our lives. It's probably not going to be right now. 
There's going to be a process that, that works all of that out. There's all kinds of things out there that God needs to line up and get ready before we can come into the place where God wants us. But here's another promise. Once everything is ready, it's going to happen just like that. It's going to make your head spin. It'll happen so fast. Peace and famine. In the Army, hurry up and wait. (laughs) In the Navy, yep. God must love the armed services because he kind of does that too. (laughs) Amen. So, we endure to obtain the promise. How do we endure? Mark 4, 16 and 17 says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Okay, we can't endure because of the word of God. Our lives are built on the solid rock of his word. Our lives are built on that. And because of that, we have root. We have strength when affliction comes. When hard times come, when situations arise in our lives that would overwhelm us normally, we can still stand strong, not in our own strength or our own ability. If we look around, there's no hope that we can see. There's no one coming to rescue us. I've been in situations in my life You probably have too. I was all alone. And there was nothing I could do. There was no one I could turn to for help because there's just no one there. And my resources were tapped. But God's resources are never tapped. God's strength never fails. And so because of that, we can stand firm no matter what comes, no matter what situations arise. I'm not making light of anybody's situation. People go through some absolutely horrific situations. I wouldn't make light of any anybody's situation. But what I'm saying is God is so much bigger and stronger than even that situation. We can stand strong in any situation. I've read accounts of, and I think some of you have probably too, I've read accounts of of people that have survived the Holocaust. They've come out of Nazi death camps. I've read people that have come out of uh, the Gulag. Situations that have come, uh, that they experienced there. Situations, literally, we can't imagine. We understand the words they're writing, we know what that means, but we can't understand what that feels like. To have your feet put in a stock and beaten with a rod until they're completely shattered. And then have to walk on that. And that happens every month. To have skin flayed off of you. I mean, just horrible things. We know what the words mean. And we can get a a mental picture, but to experience that. And to experience that in a place where you're, you're being fed substandard 
nutrition, enough to keep you alive. In a dank hole, you're cold, you're wet, and you're alone. No one's coming to help. No one's going to be there to rescue you or to catch you when you fall. There's no escape. You're here potentially until I die. When you're facing a situation like that, how do you, how do you, how do you not kill yourself? How do you stay alive? How do you find reasons to keep living? The Christian has a good reason. The Christian has a strength and, and an encouragement, a hope beyond this world. And we find that in God's Word. When we're built on that, we can survive any situation. Now again, I've never experienced that. I can't tell you experientially anything about that. But I can tell you from people that have experienced it. Christians who have went in, into the Soviet gulag. They call them Urshanites. Uh, if you know Brother Ray Nichols in Eau Claire, he was a missionary over there in the Eastern Blocks for 26 years. He has story after story after story about communism. If you're in favor of it, talk to him. Amen. In any case, uh, some of the stories he tells, just amazing. Just amazing what Christians were able to endure. And with a smile. And they would pray for their guards. Pray for the ones that were smashing their feet. While they were smashing their feet, they'd be talking in tongues, praying for the guard. More than one guard got converted. It's amazing what people can endure when they have hope. A hope that is outside of this world. And you and I can tap into that exact same hope. Our situations, I hope, aren't quite that bad. But we face situations too, don't we? And for us, they're pretty horrific sometimes. But we can face them. We can face them firmly because our strength is not of this world. It's certainly not in, it's certainly not of me. It's of Jesus Christ. And through Him, through His Word, we can endure. We can endure because we know the Word of God and we apply it. Because our lives are built upon it, because we know it, we apply it to our lives. That's what building upon the, the rock means. I can say, yeah, my life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. A lot of people do. But when situations come, their house falls. Why is that? It's not saying it that matters. I can say all kinds of things. We talked about that. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. But when I'm applying the Word of God to my life, I'm doing what it says to do. When I read a command in the Word, I submit myself to it and I do it. Not because I have to. Not because someone is over my shoulder. You see that? You need to be doing that now too. No, I don't need that. I want to do that because I know it comes from God. And I trust Him. And it's the best for me. So I can endure because I have the Word of God in my heart. And I'm doing it. I'm applying it to my life. The situations that I'm in. We can endure because we know by the Word of God that we're right in Him. 
This for me is extremely important. When I face a situation, especially uh, a situation that involves doubt or confusion, am I right? Am I am I am I proceeding correctly? Am I handling this properly? <clears throat> Sometimes as Christians we come to a T intersection and we're not sure which way to go. What's the right way? How do I respond to this? Which direction should I go? Having a peace in our heart that we're doing right in God's sight is enough for us. One guy said, if we please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. If you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. As long as we're right with God, as long as we know we can stand before God and give a good account, I can endure all kinds of things. I can endure all kinds of of, of wrong, of injustice, because I know in God's sight, I'm right, I'm good. If I go to prison for something, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with going through with that because in the presence of God, standing before his judgment seat, I'm right, I'm good, I'm in his will, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If I wasn't, if I, if I felt like I was wrong, I would have a problem with being in prison. I would have a problem with all kinds of things because I don't have that peace now. I don't have that stability anymore. But if I know in the sight of God that I'm right, I'm living according to his word, I'm going through bad situations, I'm suffering injustices, but not because of something I did, not because of anything wrong. I'm suffering it for the Lord's sake, for the word of God's sake. And that, for me, that's good enough. So because of those things, we can endure. Okay, Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to use this just a little bit loosely, but I think I'm okay. We endure because of our hope, our future hope. Jesus was enabled to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him, the results that would come from that. We can endure situations because of where we're going. Our ultimate future is heaven. Our ultimate future is an eternity with Jesus Christ. And that is... I think a lot of times our problems arise from the fact that we can't really see that sometimes. It's not very real to us. And well, the Bible says hope that is seen is not hope. But if I can see it, if I can picture it, if it's real to me, heaven, being in the direct presence of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean a lot to someone that doesn't really have a close walk with him. They may think, who cares? I'm more interested in the glorified body and the, the treasure in heaven and stuff like that. 
Uh, I'm interested in all of that too. But my goal, my hope is Jesus. That's who I'm going for. And it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I have a relationship with him. He established it with me. Okay, I really have nothing to do with that. He called me when I was a long ways off. I wasn't looking for him. I thought I was, but I wasn't. He was calling me. And every step of the way, he's been dragging me, kicking and screaming into a closer walk with him. I don't have anything to say about that. I'm thankful for the relationship I have. And and God has put a desire in my heart to to grow that relationship. And he puts desire in my heart to, to spend time with him in prayer. But that comes from him. There's nothing of that in me resident. But as we give ourselves over to that, we spend time with him. We build a relationship with him. We sacrifice the time. We sacrifice the energy it's going to take to to pray for a little bit. That relationship grows. And the more it grows, the more I want to see him. The more, uh, the closer I get to him, the more desperate I am to see his face, to hear his voice physically, to stand in his physical presence and hold him, hear his voice. We can endure an awful lot if we have that hope. If we have a relationship with God. If, if heaven is real to us. But if we're not focused on that. If we stay focused on the temporal and, and all of the things that are the little stuff going on in the world. It's all a distraction, folks. Some of it is more important than others. But at the end of the day, if it's distracting us from this, we need to cut it loose, at least for a time, and get this going. Because this is where I'm spending forever. All of eternity, this is where I'm going to be. I've purposed in my heart, I'm going to get there. I'm not staying here. Nobody is staying here. Nobody can stay here. Whether you live for God or not, you're gone in 150 years or so, give or take. (laughs) You're going. And so, so at the end of the day, we need to make this real in our lives. We need to stay focused on this. Because when we have that hope, when heaven is real to us, then by default, hell also must be real. We'll be a much more effective soul winner if we believe that. They're, uh, I should say, discipler. That's the commission. A lot of times we start thinking, we see people, especially successful people, charitable people, good people. 
They're okay. They don't need God. They're, they're Christian. They go to church. They may not believe what I believe, but they go to church. They're good people. I don't know how this is going to come across, but I'm just going to say it. If what we believe is correct, they're not going to heaven. If what we believe, preach and teach is true, that you need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking with other tongues, and afterward live a holy and a godly life before him. If that's true, then they're not going to heaven. They're not good people. They're not Christians. I'm just the messenger. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So when we look at people, let's make, let's make sure we, we keep things in perspective. We see people properly. They may have a better prayer life than I do. They may know the Word of God better than I do. I'll grant you that. I'll stipulate. However, we're not saved based on how well we know the Word of God. We're not saved based on how long we pray. Now, we need to pray, and we need to know the Word of God. Absolutely. I think you're wrong if you don't. But we're not saved according to that. We're saved according to our submission to the plan of God in salvation, incorporating his death, burial, and resurrection. That is how we are saved. And that's how Jesus taught us to be saved. It's his choice. If he told me all I needed to do was eat two Big Macs and a large fry and I'm saved, I'd be eating it all the time. And I'd be saved. But that's not what he said. He said something else. And so that's what I'm doing and preaching and teaching. These things are, I mean, This world is lost. Our family members are lost. Some of them. In your family, you know who it is. In my family, I know who it is. Our co-workers are lost. Our neighbors. People need Jesus Christ. Amen. So we endure because of our hope. At the end of everything, we win. We know that. We're on the winning side. No matter what we endure, no matter what situations we face, we know that after everything is said and done, we're going to win. So that causes us to have some internal strength. 
Some would say intestinal fortitude, mental endurance, spiritual endurance. Because we understand that. We understand that our work, our sufferings, our afflictions work for us an ever better future. The more I endure for Jesus Christ, the greater hope I have to look forward to. These light afflictions which are but for a moment worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. Not the blessings, but the afflictions. Those are what worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. At the end, God makes everything right. He's going to balance every book. So it doesn't matter what injustices I face down here. It doesn't matter that life isn't fair. It's frustrating. Absolutely it is. I don't claim to not be frustrated by it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because I know that either in this life or in the next, God's going to balance every book. He is going to execute perfect justice and judgment in this earth. He's going to make everything right. And so I can endure those things because I know that my God is going to settle it, either here or in the next. Amen. The other side of this is patience. Uh, the ability to bear pain or suffering without complaint. We won't lose our temper and become angry at God or others. We will not take vengeance on others for actions taken against us. We are self-controlled and restrained in the midst of provocation and affliction. Amen. Just like all of us are, right? Every one of us. I don't have to say anything about this. You guys already got it. <laughs> so how can we be patient with others and with our present circumstances? How do we get to the place where we can bear these things without complaint? Not become angry. Well, God is patient with us. Romans 15 and 5 says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. He is the God of patience. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loved me when I hated him. God loved me when I was so far away from him. I can love others in their error. I can love others even though they're not in the place yet where I am. I'm thankful for where I am in God today. God has brought me a long way. But you know what? i got a long way to go yet. A long way to go before I start really looking like Him. So when we compare ourselves among ourselves, you know, we can see all kinds of, we can say, levels of spirituality. I'm more spiritual than so-and-so. He might be a little bit more spiritual than me, etc., etc. But when we all stand in the presence of God, there's no difference at all. 
there's really no difference at all. God loved me in my error. I can love others in theirs. And again, this isn't license. We're not okaying wrong behavior. The behavior's wrong. It's wrong. Fair enough. But we can be patient with that. Some of the things that I did when I first came to the Lord, I think I told you guys my first Bible study was in a tank top and spandex shorts. Can you imagine? Please don't imagine. <laughs> I look back on that now, and I am so embarrassed, even thinking about it. But I was just as comfortable as a pea in a pod. It's who I was. It's how I lived. And they didn't say anything. They just loved me and welcomed me in. I can imagine some people were uncomfortable. I can, I can almost guarantee there were some people that were uncomfortable. But nobody said anything. Nobody condemned me. Nobody tried to clean me up. Uh, they just wanted me to come back, and I guess they figured God would take care of it. And he did. He certainly did. It's so much nicer when God takes care of people, when God starts cleaning up their lives. Let's let God clean up people's lives. We're going to let God clean us up. We don't want people coming in and trying to sweep us out. Amen. And again, it's not license. It's still wrong behavior. This is forbearance. This is patience. Jesus was patient with the people, but not so patient with the Pharisees. The people that ought to have known better. The people that had truth, that had the law, and weren't following it. So again, Jesus will be quite a bit more patient with our visitors and our new people than he will be with us in the same circumstance. Amen. But he is patient, and therefore we are patient. James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. He's patient with the sinner and the lost, and will wait for them to come home. We know the story of the prodigal son. The father was Jesus Christ in that story. And the prodigal was gone for years. He was gone for years. But every day the father was out there looking, waiting. So when the, the son came back at some random time years later, many years later, he was there waiting. He saw him when he was a long ways off. And he ran to him and welcomed him home. 
When we're praying for the lost, we're praying for our loved ones. It's good to, to be burdened by that. It's good to feel the weight of that when we're praying. But be patient with them. Put them in the hands of God. Let God deal with them. Do everything you can. I'm not saying try to get a Bible study. You know, keep encouraging them. Whatever, whatever it is you think would be best for your family member. But be patient. Be patient with that. Be patient with them. Be patient with God who is dealing with them. At the end of the day, I mean, there's nothing you can do or not do to make them serve God. God has got to take the veil off. God has got to lead them to a place of repentance. God endured affliction with patience. Or consider him that endurance this contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Jesus was patient with all the badgering and the questioning. He's patient when they would try to twist his words. He was patient when they falsely accused him. And he was patient when they hung him on a cross and crucified him. He didn't get angry. He didn't revile them. They were taunting him when he was dying. And all he could do was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is our perfect example. And so when we are in the midst of persecution, when we are in the midst of whatever situation it is we're in the midst of, good, bad, or indifferent, we can be patient. We can endure it. Ultimately, of course, that comes from the Spirit of God in us. All of these reasons are good reasons, but if you don't have the Holy Ghost, it's just not going to avail you, not the way it needs to. At the end of the day, these spiritual things come through spiritual means. The Holy Ghost inside of us. Amen. And I am out of time. So, uh, we're going to shut down here. We'll pick up with gentleness next week, Lord willing. Let's all stand.